Don't serve as I serve my brew I'm cool with the work I do Clock ticks in the world might move Time stops with a girl like you Perched high word my dude I observe life from a bird's eye view Jokes try hurt my mood But my sky pure right blue Hello, I'm Jensen Bueller. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. 14% of the way there. And not far enough. Quentin, this is this is a little weird. I'm not in my usual spot because we have with us today a very special guest, Letitia Klein uh, of the Internets. Letitia, thank you very much for being on the uh, Two Enthusiasts Podcast today. Well, thanks for having me a lot of fun. Uh, Before we get too far into the show, we should remind our listeners that this episode is brought to you by the good folks at Dineasy and AJV. They make motorcycle gear that is inspired by humans. With stores all over the country. Indeed. In San Francisco, Orange County, Chicago, Orlando, your hometown, Letitia, New York, and soon to be LA. So we were talking about this before the show, how I was going to have a hard time introducing you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Letitia Klein of the internets. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, describe for our listeners what your jam is, how you're involved in motorcycling, how you got here, and um, what you're doing here up here in Portland. Yeah, of the internet. So it sounds like I'm in a band. I like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, you know, and I've been in the industry for a long time and wore many different hats, you know, from uh, a promotional model at one point to uh uh, covering it journalism wise or t- talking about it, you know, I once dated a very well known racer that you guys probably have spoke about on the show. And now I race for Harley Davidson and I'm a journalist in the industry. I just try to any way I can just be involved in motorcycling, you know, and I it started at an early age. I started riding when I was four. So I've been around it for a long time. It was a family affair. Yes. My dad actually built bikes, just rat bikes, choppers, and whatnot in the living room of our house. I don't know why it was our living room. I don't think we had a garage. We were kind of not well off. And uh, so I just, my baby pictures are on bikes. I grew up just around them. He put me on one. We grew up in Kentucky. So the way you get around there is uh, three-wheelers back in the day, four-wheelers or dirt bikes. And so I've just always been around them. Right on. So you spent times on proper three-wheelers back when they were still yeah sold new yes actually yeah. and then you uh you know where you i've ran my leg over a million times yeah. and tipped them over and crashed super them. dangerous oh so dangerous there's so many i've seen so many this weekend out, out at dirt quake actually i'm surprised <laughs> yeah the uh there was a, a bit of a video somebody posted up uh, i think it might have been J- uh, jimmy hill uh, posted yeah. up a video with with Tor from CC screwing around. I believe it was Tor screwing around on one, and it was just every time he's doing something, you're like, oh, cringe. You're like, you know, it's gonna end in <laughs> sadness, yeah, and it's just, just like, just be banned. That doesn't look that yeah. doesn't look fun at all. Right. I know, I know. I'm scared of him. I've I've had my fill. I'm good. But you're not scared of racing at Dirtquake. So what what bike are you on, and what is the what is the class? Yeah, so it's the Hooligan class. Well, I'm gonna race the girls class out here actually, and then. Uh, the it's a 750 a xg 750 which is the water cooled yes okay but it's been changed so stock those bikes aren't set up to to race so i had to do a lot of things to it like cut the subframe off completely weld and create that shave out the swing arm i did a chain conversion uh r6 front end on it uh a different tank smaller tank and different moto bars, you know, took off all the no front brake and no lights and everything I could. Took as much weight off that Harley as I could. 
That's, that's just like something goal number one, isn't it? Absolutely. And that's what, yeah. I mean, they must own a steel factory or something because there was like that subframe was so heavy. I'm like, what is it? Why is it? This doesn't need to be that heavy. Now, do you do a lot of this yourself? I try to do, I cut it all up myself, but then I was, I came out and raced. When I got the bike, I raced uh, the one show and then on Roland Sands bike. And then, um, I've been on the road ever since, basically. So I haven't, I didn't have time to build it. So a shop in Orlando built it for me. Right on. Yeah. Okay, cool. It just seemed like you would, you uh, are into it enough to where you would get your hands dirty. Yes, I would. And I do now. Like, I, right on. so I have to, I have two race bikes. So I have to maintain both of those constantly. They came damaged to X Games last week and then they came even more damaged this weekend. So we're constantly just fixing them on the fly and going out on the track and hoping they work. Yeah, I remember seeing you at the one show flat track races was down at Salem. Yeah. Uh, you know, in in leathers, doing things to the bike. It was like, yeah, that's full respect because not a lot, a lot of those riders are just kind of strutting around and letting somebody else work on the bike. It's pretty yeah. rad to see. Well, thank you. I actually hit the wall at that one yeah. too. I uh, shouldn't have been racing. I'd had surgery. I was uh, on bed rest for the last three months and I just got the go to race. And I went on the, so I went out there and I went on a Roland's pickle tracker that's notorious for people crashing on it. And um, it's just a different setup and also a recluse clutch. I'm not used to that. I like to engine brake. They call it the pickle tracker. Yeah. It's and got it, a pickle on the tank. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and it has a recluse clutch and it's a Harley. Yeah. They grafted a recluse clutch into it somehow, some way. That's I think bizarre. they don't they make them for them? I yeah. think they make them for it. That's yeah. Weird. And then uh yeah, that and then the way uh they'd put the shift and the peg like really far. So you basically have to shift with your shin. It was just set up differently. Yeah. And I wasn't used to it and I was just coming in too hot and trying to push that bike down, but I was weak from basically not doing anything for three months. And then I saw the wall and I got fixated, which you're not supposed to do. And I said it to myself, I'm like, I'm going to hit the wall. And as soon as I said it, I hit it and out I went. I woke up and they were asking me how old I was. And I wish I would have thought and said, you never ask a lady how old she is. <laughs> but instead I was like, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but it was, it was good. And then four days later, I was in Milwaukee doing it at Flat Out Friday. So you were you concussed? I was. And, and so, was it okay? Obviously, it was a, a very mild one. Yes, okay. very mild. So you had a good good helmet on. I had a great one. I had a Bell Moto Flex 9, which is amazing. So it broke actually in the spot it was supposed to break. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason why I even probably knocked out is because I hit a wall, a pole, yeah. and then the ground. I yeah. mean, there just was too much There's for no my way little body. <laughs> in some cases, for sure. Yeah. All right. So you I, even so it's obvious that you uh, love it quite yes. a lot. Uh, if you get to that point where... You hit a wall, literally and figuratively, but then can get back up and keep going, especially on the next week. You're still having fun with it, and yes. it's good. Yes, that's the most important part. The minute it stops being fun, then, you know, it's not worth it anymore. Is this the only type of racing you've ever done, or have you gotten in anything No, else? moto, back in the day, motocross, and uh, mini bikes, and 110s, just whatever, like whatever was local and around, or if I was at, if I was covering, I used to work with Racer X, if I was covering any of the Supercross or motocross, if there was like races close by, I'd jump in on that. So you wrote for Racer X. Did I, you ever do any writing for Road Racer X with, when Chris Johnham had that I going? I love Chris Johnham. I know, he's, he's rad. Yes, I didn't actually... I don't think I ever, I might have contributed a story or something to to that. That wouldn't have surprised me. That's what I was just thinking if you were already in that realm. Was yeah. it Coombs? Is that yeah, the, the family? Coombs. Yeah, mm -hmm. And yeah. they have something to do with 
outdoor nationals as well, right? They do. They, I don't know now. I think they own almost all of it, but they owned a lot of the tracks back in the day. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're heavily involved, that whole family. I mean, that's their blood. They, they've literally been doing it forever. Do, do, you, do you still follow uh, Supercross and Motocross at all? I do occasionally. Yeah, and you know, I did an article actually for RacerX a couple of years ago. I took the Ducati Scrambler out for their launch and went to Anaheim 3 when they had it the retro race and I uh, rode it around the track and like did this whole story. It was great. But that was my first time back at Supercross at an actual race in quite a few years. And uh, it's become a, a circus and a show. And I, th- and that kind of upset me. And I think it's great. We need it. But at the same time, like w- one thing I loved when I was younger is actually the accessibility yeah. to the riders and like how the track was like, it was almost felt like you were a part of it. Now it just feels like a monster jam, you know, and, and with X Games involved and, you know, it's just yeah. very televised. So I just, I, that maybe I'm just old school like that, you know, but. Well, that's the thing we, we were talking about relative to MotoGP, Formula One, U.S. Superbike Series, Moto America, and how it's not, nothing's doing really well. Everything's mm-hmm. kind of, especially in the Moto America is like, how can they make it more accessible? It's really accessible, like yeah. that, and, and I would say is, but it's not as popular as it should be. And going to a, I don't know, Jensen, have you ever been to a Supercross? I have, but only um, one. What's that? Only once. Only once. Yeah. I, I've been to a few of them, um, mainly because I enjoy, I do enjoy watching it. it. There is an amusement to it. Yeah. Straight up as a fan, going and buying the ticket, not being an industry person, right. getting the hookup, being in the pits. I've never done that. I've just go in the stands and watch the race. And yeah, and I went to Seattle this year and I enjoyed it very much. It yeah. is a spectacle. It's an enjoyable thing to see all the people, et cetera. Um, Outdoor National, I'm actually hoping to get to Washougal, which is coming up. I haven't been in years because it's been usually on days that I'm working or, or you know, in the motorcycle industry, they've changed it to Saturdays, which is awful. Most people are working on Saturdays. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. It's not as much of a spectacle, but this is something he and I were talking about relative to road racing in general, how difficult and inaccessible the actual racing and watching the racing itself is because you might not want to have to walk all the way around road Atlanta to go see all the different corners. Right. I love that. I'm all about that. That's what I grew up watching. So I'm okay with it. But in order for uh, for us to satiate the the current, I don't know, iPod phone person that just is immediate gratification, mm-hmm. do as little as possible to see mm-hmm. the thing that they want to see. Supercross does that. It's been doing that for 20 years. But road racing, and there's just really barely any way for that to happen. Right. So what do you think about that relative to what you see with flat track going on, yep. right? Because that helps get to that point. And then in, in road racing, when was the last time you were at a road race? Well, uh, I went to World Superbike two years ago yeah. in um, Laguna. And yep. then uh, I go to the vintage uh, barber. You do? Yeah, I do that. Oh, so that's it's because cool. it's not su- super far from my house. So I'll ride up there. It's sure. like 700 miles or something. And I want to go to that pretty bad. You've never been? No. It's actually yeah, great. And go. that actually is huge. I yeah. think they had like 75,000 in attendance. It's probably last the biggest year. road race in the US. Yeah, right? it's crazy to me, but it's fun. And it's not just that, it's because of all the other things that are there that f- offers for something. You know, we've got Ace Corner. So it's like more of a VIP experience. It's definitely at the best turn. And then you've got. Uh, the swap meet and all the vendors and, and the, the museum, paddock the museum. is really in yeah. the museum and the paddock is really accessible and it's just and it, and also too you get to see people that you admire and look up to and then the just average Joe out there just pushing it in the armor armor class so like it's just I think that that's a really fun event but I and I think that that's why it's successful and I think that's why flat tracking is coming back because it's that grassroots you know yeah. everyone wants to feel 
what it's like to go out there and race. And you really can't do that at a flat track race because you're get, getting pelted at a lot of these places with, you're getting roosted with rocks and dirt because you're that close and you can smell the fumes and yeah. you can, you know, and like, <clears throat> and it's, uh, and you can see the whole track too, which makes it great. So like what you're talking about, well, Shugo is one of my favorite motocross tracks, but you know, there's a section of it that goes up in the mountains. Like you can't see it, yeah. like unless you're standing up there. And then if you're standing up there, you can't see the rest of the track. So yeah. as a spec from a spectator point of view, it's great to have a party at and like see a little bit of it. But other than that, it's, you know, you got, you, if you want to see the whole thing, you've got to walk around or watch it on TV. For sure. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the only reason why. And I think that Supercross does a great job at seeing all of it too. I just think that I have the VIP hookup and I yeah. still have a hard time navigating through those pits and talking to the people or seeing the people that I'd like to see. So if I, if I have a hard time, I know that the mm. average Joe that has a ticket is having a hard time too. Do you, do you blame that on the promoter or the manufacturers or the riders or do you, not, not that we should associate know. blame, but yeah. what do you think the reason is? I think uh, it's a lot of things it, from social media to, you know, I think it could be a factor of a lot of things. You know, those guys are like rock stars. Their followings are huge. And, and we've, we've built it up to this, big, huge celebrity rock star status. So once you do that, the more and more people are involved. So you have to regulate it a little more. You can't just have your rider who's got a race stand out there and sign autographs all day long like they would before. Now they have these certain times. Yeah. And the tracks have gotten more difficult because we need to keep people entertained, you know, and they've, you know, so they ride riskier tracks, I think, and then go immediately to television interviews, barely have any time to practice or get back into the yeah. mode before they go back out sure. again. Um so I, I mean, I admire what they do. I think it's great. I just, uh, I don't know. There's, you know, there's a lot of things. I just, um, I think it's, you know, I, I want to go see racing and I don't go to get squirted in the face with a water gun from a monster chick. Like that stuff annoys me a little bit, but you know what really, I mean? Really? As a woman, that annoys you? It does a little bit. Oh, it's that's just, weird. <laughs> I mean, I think the monster girls are hot and yeah. I think they're awesome. And I think that they bring a, I mean, those girls are celebrities too. And it's just... I don't know. It's a, and I'm not old school in that the fact that it's like a family sport and you've got girls running around doing that stuff. I just think that it's just too much. It's just overkill. It's like, why do we need to have a pool and water guns and music in every booth? And, and why I want to see racing. Isn't that why I'm there? Isn't that why we all go to see the bikes and race? Like, I don't know. Yeah. But it, you brought up a good point. I never really thought about it in that, in that very shortened, tightened uh, format that they have to do. You never really think about the racer have it get off track yeah. do an interview then you know from from a road racing standpoint you'd get off track whatever practice and you got all the time to download to your crew chief and yeah. talk with the mechanics and figure it out then get to the next node and be like okay we're ready for or we are going to then go get ready for qualifying then you have long time between that and then a usually not a whole long time before qualifying in a race but you know what I mean? It, it, there's more time. Whereas on in a one day, may, basically one night format, especially, especially mm -hmm. if you end up having to do an LCQ, or yeah. do, right? You you end up in a bad way. And oof, that's tough. It's tough for the rider. And I never really thought about how much from a mental standpoint, that'd be difficult for that rider. Right. And that makes it difficult for them to be then open and gregarious to the people that are there to see them. Right. right. So that's a good point. Yeah. Huh. And stressful all around. What about on the road racing side? Do you miss any of the being in the paddock at all in the road race side? I mean, I was in there a great time of racing for sure. And, uh, you know, I, I dated Ben Spees and then he, his teammate, Matt Maladin, there was always like 
drama going on there. And then, uh, but it was just good racing. Like, yeah, it was some of the best racing battles ever. And, you know, and uh, I do miss that because it was more, I don't know, I just going to sound rude and I don't mean it, in, but it's classier. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it was just like, well, wait, what, do you mean classier? The road racing is classier than dirt bikes or classier than it is now? The or paddock. No, yeah. like the, no, just then dirt bikes. So like I would do both. So I was actually sure. covering motocross and supercross. I was Miss Motocross actually during that time for, for the motocross section. Were you like, I, I only know Diana Dahlgren. She was one that was like the, yeah. the head of, of all, is that who was a Miss Motocross recently? She's Miss Supercross. Okay. I was that. For, for motocross. motocross. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then I, didn't I did know GNCC that. racing at the same time. Really? So, huh. mm -hmm. were I you, would, now at that time, was there Monster? Was there any of that? There was going? no one there. It was back, oh, for motocross? Yeah. It was Red Bull, I think, back then still. But it wasn't that you were Miss Motocross, the Monster Energy oh, yeah. girl or anything like that. It was. No, I wore a Racer X shirt usually or whatever track Rad. I was okay. at. You I know? didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. So, um, so in the midst of that, yeah. you were, you would go to do that. And uh -huh. then any, any road race, uh, to be with Ben, you yeah. would be at the road race and it would be Racer X first. But then if it was happenstance, you'd be there. You were deep in it then. Yes. And I remember one time I had both, uh, where, what's the, what's the road race track up in Sacramento or like up in wine country? What's there's oh, Sonoma, there's Sears yeah. Point. Sonoma, Sears, Sears Point, Point. one of those. And Thunder then there Hill. was a be motocross Hill. race at the same time, like the, the next, Oakland or something. Maybe. I think, and I, I can't mm -hmm. remember. God, it was for, I'm mean, I literally was on the road over 200 days a year then. And so it just ran together. Um, but I remember going to the road race and then jumping in my rental car and booking it down to the motocross race yeah, so I that bet. I could do both. And Oh, it'd be Hangtown. It would have yes, been Hangtown. That's it. Yeah. Yes. I forgot we're talking about motocross, not yeah. supercross. So you would have been, we, I can see that. We'd be at that time of year. Yeah. They would have had, huh? Wow. Yeah. That would be a tough one for sure. Yeah. But that's really interesting because you got to see this is what I say the halcyon time of, of motorcycling in general relative. There was the golden era in the 70s. Yeah. When bike sales were huge. And then it kind of waned and kind of upped and down until that early 2000s and being in it, like I had was working at a Ducati shop in the late 90s and then being on a race team in the mid-2000s right when it was at height where all of the money coming from the manufacturers to to be out there. Yeah. And when all Honda, Suzuki, Kawasaki, all everybody was playing mm -hmm. on the road race side, that was a great time. And then yeah. watching it kind of waver and wane over the past 10 years has been a bit of a bummer. It's going, but every, a lot of people talk about that time as being critical. Yeah. And I'm, it's really cool to hear somebody like yourself that was in it like super deep. Why do you think it's like, fallen off a little bit what what well, happened the economy tanked to the point where nobody saw it made make sense to to yeah. spend the money on, on road racing especially the i think the sales have been so down right back in that time 600s i mean yamaha's the factory effort was the 600s right like i was on the on the also ran satellite graves team a lot of people thought it was all one big thing but if you knew the internal workings we were satellite team we were not doing the factory thing right yeah. so they put way more importance on 600s because they were selling a crap ton of them, right? Yeah. And they were selling a lot of thousands too, but 600s were a big deal. Now that's gone off, right? Well, I, Suzuki did that too. They spent a lot of time on their 600s. I know that was sure. their- that, All of them did. Yeah. yeah. Honda, Suzuki, Kawasaki, definitely. They, they're fo they, they would have super bikes, no doubt, but their folks was 600s at that time. Mm -hmm. And it's um, it's just not like that any longer. That And there was a lot of politics, right? The, the, the time from when Daytona Motorsports Group bought it to then it getting to Moto America now, there was just a lot of 
turmoil and that turmoil has caused I think a lot of it is like you, you would get a, a, a series that everybody would know, okay, it's whatever time of the year, we're at Road Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And that group of people that would come to those races wanted it to be about that time of year. They knew to get excited for it. Miller Motorsports Park had been built up, right? All of the tracks over the course of time, everybody knew to go and it was a year in, year out thing. And then it didn't, it was not like that for a while. Back when we were doing it, it was 11 or 12 races and 11 or 12 tests a year. It was a heavy amount. And they got down to like six races or something at some point in time. So once you do that, it's tough to get that um, the, the people back to yeah. come watch, right? right. And then, uh, the, then the promoters, because it's, you know, the promoter's like, I don't want to promote a race that I'm only going to get 10,000 people to show up, right? So yeah. It's a tough one. And uh, it's interesting to see uh, uh, what's going to happen over the course of time. But that's why watching the flat track race racing grow and and talking with michael Locke, uh as we did about was it six months ago or so it's it's heartening to hear that and you're right the grassroots side of it the the bikes are are like attainable like you feel that you you have access to those bikes like you could almost go and buy one of those or you feel like it's closer than when you're looking at a super bike but for the same reason a super bike's amazing because you know you could never replicate that and that's awesome right, you know, right? so there's a there's a balance between the two i mean this side of going and plunking down 50 50 grand for one of the fancier flat track race bikes that I think Indian said that they could. Yeah. You right? can get, yeah. I forget what but, the, the price that's tag is, but it's the up way, there. Harley, There's if you needed, if you were going to go buy an XR750 and they didn't, they stopped producing them however long ago, you were going to pay that much, right? Because mm-hmm. they're that valuable. They're that awesome at what they do. And mm-hmm. they're that rare. That was difficult to do. Yeah. Well, my bike is just their street 750. I mean, it's literally the bike it's that attainable. you could buy. It's eight grand, you know, 8,600 or whatever. You can buy it and convert it. And, uh, then they have the street rod that came out that already has the inverted front end. And so it's actually even more, uh, yeah, it's definitely attainable. And, and I crash, we crashed those bikes. So I'm not, granted, I built mine up and it's really nice. And I did a beautiful paint job and it should, it looks like it needs to be in a showroom more than it does need to be out, out on a dirt track. But if I crashed it, I'm not bumming as much as I would yeah. if I oh, was yeah. on a road race a road bike. Road race bike, you're looking I've, at like anywhere from five to fifteen hundred bucks just in a simple low side, right? Yeah, no and, way. <laughs> I couldn't. I would have a I wouldn't be able to race it because of the fact that I'd be worried too well, worried about and that's, it. That's that's a big part of it. So the economy tank, then just general the ex- people willing to expend that money on the not even on the pro side, but on the amateur side has waned. And it's taken a while. It's growing. It's still okay, but it's never. It's not going to get back. And the same with the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's not going to get back to 2006. It'll be, it'll be many, many, it'll be decades before we, I think we even see that. I, that's my guess. Yeah. It's just not going to be that way, right? The way the economy has gone, the way politics has gone, it's just, it's not going to just all of a sudden burgeon and get back unless there's some sort of major change in I don't know structure of if gas becomes ten dollars. Yes, gallon. there we go. Yeah. So that would yeah. be the thing, all right? Or everybody is so comfortable with the economy being so great for so many years that everybody's like, oh yeah, we'll be good. Here's my expendable income. Is you know Harley isn't doing like fantastic, but they're still selling two hundred fifty thousand bikes a year, right? right? That's still a lot of motorcycles. There's still people that want to do this thing, right? Yeah. And we've yeah. got to figure out in the industry is how to raise everybody up to where it's. I mean, I don't. I'm, I don't have any illusions about getting it back to what it was immediately to 2016. 2007 right when the, the economy tanked but kids it, and women well, well there we go this, that's kids the thing and women. And that's sure. why i wanted to have you on the show <laughs> so so quentin if i could tell you a really easy way to double the number of people riding motorcycles in america would that be an idea you're interested in yeah i am how tell me about it yeah, what would you do right i mean that's the thing that that, that kind of gets me sometimes like i joked about it 
you know, like the, the 14%, 14% of the motorcycle industry is women riders. And then you kind of sit there and you're like, but over 50% of the population is women. And that's very much an American thing. Like I lived in Europe and I have like this, like just image in my head in my neighborhood of 20, 30 something year old girls on scooters, just running around, getting their errands done, doing things for work, whatever it is, like that was the mode of transportation. And it's, there was just as many women as there were guys doing that because that's a format that obviously works very well in Italy and other countries, but because of gas prices, because, because of, of prices. the structures of the cities. Yeah, often, yeah. There's, for sure. there's some things there that, that there exist that America doesn't have, but I still don't think that's an excuse to say like, Oh, that's why women don't ride in the U S because there's nothing about motorcycling that is like mm, male. Like, right. There's it's, it's equally enjoyed by the sexes. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I, I just think that slowly people are starting manufacturers and things are kind of starting to get it, but we, they're just still far, so far behind, you know, that, you know, now they're starting to come out with like smaller displacement bikes or shorter seat heights and just to get people in the saddle. But even that still, it's not like, it's almost an insult at times because we don't, need some of that special i didn't hop on a small bike to begin i mean i did when i was little but like my first bike that i bought as a cruiser i rode moto for a long time when i went on the road was a big old uh heritage soft tail like it was a big bike you know what i mean it wasn't like a little bike i just never even thought twice about it um then once you owned it how long ago was this well oh god uh 14 years ago ago. so once you got it was there ever any knock-on effect of it being negative or bad because it was big or were you fine no i mean big just means it's hard for me to push it back you know i have to think smarter about where i park it you know and i'm not that short i'm five seven so i can put both my feet on the ground which is good but uh other than that no it actually was easier bigger bikes are easier to ride they balance more and i don't know i just think they're just a lot easier to ride. I just you need and, more power. I like to have that in decision making. You know, I, I need that on the street. Sometimes you get yourself in a situation. You need to be able to have something that pulls you out. Of it. out right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> yeah. But uh, well, and at that at that time, so that's 15 years ago. Um, was the was it? What was your experience? And do you feel that your experience purchasing that bike and dealing with the bike in general in the industry, going to the shops, dealing with the people? Was it easy because you were in it, so you were in the industry, or was that difficult, or did you see I'm not, uh, mainly blatant sexism, difficult to deal with people, uh, or was it fairly simple for you? You know, I, I, my dad was around then, and he he helped on that purchase, so uh, I didn't. I never even noticed that anyone being different. I was in a small town. I lived in Kentucky. I think I was in Kentucky when I bought that, and then... Uh, uh, I've never noticed it until like lately. And it's from different segments of the motorcycle industry, the sexism, definitely the chopper segment of that is still stuck in that time. Um, I'm not really involved in that world. So, but in a kind of in an indirect way with Harley, you know, uh, cause a lot of them that's older Harleys, but sure. really a lot of people have been pretty welcoming, um, or I've just been, I've not noticed it when I take long distance road trips and I do a lot, I do get that at gas stops or random places. Oh, is that your bike? Like you're by yourself or you're too pretty to ride. I get that. Or while well, you're so little, 
or everyone has a story about how they know someone that crashed and I shouldn't be doing that. And but that and, that's normal for all motorcycles, right. right? All motorcycles. Right. But the things like, oh, you're too pretty, right? I, I hear that I, all I the time. You were, you're the only person <laughs> the that told me that. It's brutal. Yeah. You're, so Jensen's the only person that's told me that. I don't really. I'm too <laughs> handsome. Was yeah. Like, okay. Sorry, handsome. Yeah. I right. just think that that's so it's so silly to me because I wear gear. I'm very big on gear. So when I ride, even with you know when people are like it's hot, it's actually better when it's hot. Yeah, of so, course. You know. Yeah. I I'm in gloves jacket and a full face helmet you know and boots and so like what do you what does it matter what i look like I, you can't even tell what i look like and that's part of the reason why i actually like wearing gear is because it just yeah. neutralizes me hmm. you know do you, do you like the idea that you're not genderized and that you can yeah 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 and i don't because and none of it even when it's said to me makes me want to i never get that like oh well i'm going to prove to them thing i just i've always just kind of rode my own ride like I just always go and do my thing and I don't even focus on it I think for women in general sometimes um we kind of hold ourselves back in a way because when we're raised we're taught to be the weaker of the sex that if we do something masculine it's you know it loses our femininity and and it's hard to for some people to get over that idea like how have you done that or where did I you first grew notice up female it? like I literally I'm a tom I mean I grew up tomboy in Kentucky you know on bikes and and we we lived on a campground for a long time and, and cave exploring because that's where where we're from is largest cave and so I just never thought of myself as very feminine to begin with and my dad didn't raise me that way and um but I think uh for other women, I've seen it transition by seeing other women get into it, and that inspires them to try it too. And I think it's good when we have beautiful women, whatever beauty is considered, beautiful women ride, smaller women ride. Like the girl that I have racing for me this weekend is five foot two, you know, and she's racing a Harley that's got a really high suspension. Who is that? Mallory Lee. She's out of Austin, Texas. Right on. And uh, she's not like a race she rides moto and sure rides on the street but um i think when people see that they're like oh i can do that because yeah. the first thought is like oh i'm too short to ride a bike or i'm too little to ride a big bike or you know i my, my, i don't know no one in my family ever rode motorcycles how do i get into this and then you can just identify with other women that are out there doing it as long as they're sending the right message when i think that right message is you know seat time proper training wearing gear not necessarily taking a million photos, setting on a bike, but also riding one, you know, like those types of things, you know, and granted all those other cool photos get people inspired too. Yeah. But there's authenticity that comes from actually doing the thing, not taking the photos yeah. and faking it straight yeah. up. And I, it is a frustration to watch. And, but then I think both of it, we've had this conversation many times about many different well, it's called influencers. Yeah. We're like, it, it, it's still not bad. They're still doing the thing that right. gets it out there. Yep. But we wish it could be more legitimate people that are actually riding the motorcycles that you know when you're, yeah. when you're seeing that Instagram picture that that person either blood, sweat, and tears to build the machine mm -hmm. and then also mm -hmm. to go and ride and knows what they're doing. doesn't mean you have to be an expert right. at it, but just that you're legitimate, that you're authentically going and doing it, not... Not just doing it to get the clicks and likes. Right? right. I don't think it's a bad thing at all until they start making money at it. And then if the influencers, like just promoting, like to get people excited about it. But 
if they start making an income at that, then it's like, the, then that's where the OEMs and everything misses the mark because they start investing in people that aren't sending, that aren't making long-term motor, motorcyclists. They're getting, those people get people to buy a motorcycle for a year until they have an accident or have a close yes. call and then they sell them. Yes. And well, that's why I said, we're going to see a flood of smaller displacement bikes for sale on, on uh, eBay and Craigslist before long because everyone you know, goes to the lifestyle events, which I think are wonderful or whatnot, and they buy a bike just for that. And then they, they don't take it serious. And they, and this is your life, you know, I mean, it's very important. And, uh, you know, and then they get scared or they lose interest because there's something else that's popular out there. And then they sell their bike, you know, and this is the biggest, biggest problem for us in the industry in general yeah. is that that gating it where people do get into it because it is cool. And, mm -hmm. and there's a sexiness to it, no matter which gender you're in. Uh, but then not doing it right and not having a, a structure and just having social media showing people riding around either half naked or with, with those bubble helmets, right? Yeah. You know, you know what? Fair enough. But that's not safe, straight up. So right. for those of us that are in it really deep yeah. and road racing and dirt bikes, et cetera, that would never, I mean, even, even hopping on a scooter. The other day, Jensen and I went to go get gas. Literally... <laughs> What a block and three a half, blocks, two, yeah. whatever it is to go. Because we went the long way. It was three blocks. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. We went to go fill up a couple bikes because we needed to weigh them. And I was in flip flops and we had our full face helmets on. But nice. I was like, I even that is just like, this is yeah. so stupid. I it, hope it, no one sees us. It yeah. all happen badly, all so quickly. And we know better. But I mean, that's the deal. Is there that temptation? Oh, yeah, I'll just wear a half helmet because I'll. But yeah. that, that half helmet isn't for any other reason than looking cool. And that's what's really frustrating to me. Right. Is that money you spent on that thing, I know isn't, I mean, it might be a little bit cheaper than a good full face, but it's so not worth it. And it's angering to see that people right. will promote that. It's right. The look. Well, that. I always say, don't group on plastic surgery. It's your face. Why are you trying to save money on your helmet? Save money on groceries. Like, save money on, like, you know, your car payment, like your fuel or whatever. Don't save money on a freaking helmet. Like it's it it's your life, and you don't have to be like take. You know, it's part of the fun of motorcycling is also that freedom and not overly worrying about things. And you don't have to be a, such a stickler for gear. But you know, I see a lot of people that just don't put a thought into it. Yeah, not you know, at, all. at least put a little bit of thought into it. And once you do, you start to realize. And then, and to me, I ride better if I'm geared up. When I'm not, yesterday we went took my bikes around on the gravel trail at dirt quake and i didn't have any gear on and i just rode super slow because i don't feel comfortable but if i was geared up i'd push it because i know that if i fall because i got some good stuff like i'm pretty and i've fallen in it and i'm protected you know pretty well and uh so i like to be geared up so i can ride better and yep and that's what we see we worry about the influencers that do this uh, or there's other influencers and this this again isn't genderized i, I know a few of the male uh, influencers are out there that would like there was one that crashed heavily and then it was a GoFundMe thing and that was just yeah. like oh man like how 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 do you put yourself in this position to to be in this and then have to do that that's really it just yeah. makes the whole industry just sink yeah right? and I, I I feel awful for that right that that happens and, right. and we'd like to see more people that are no matter what, geared up. And uh, yeah, you're doing something inherently dangerous, like intrinsically, right. inherently dangerous. Be ready for it and and be in it. And it doesn't really matter if 
You're taking pictures to look to look pretty, whether wherever you are, right. myself included. I want this. This looks cool. Here's yeah. a selfie of me and my sweet, awesome road race bike, whatever. Yeah. Be jealous of me, right? Well, yeah. that's the, yeah. and that that is the part of the game. Is that it's this? Okay, there's a way to say you go from it transcends uh, me wanting to look cool for my friends to me then being able to make money off of me right. looking cool. Holy crap! Yeah, it's like a perfect storm of awesome for a lot of, especially for this society the way it is now, where looking the part looking cool seems to be more important than actually being authentic and doing the without thing. without a doubt i mean my last instagram post i posted a couple of days ago was i was on set doing stunts for a music video and i'm not in any gear but i put a disclaimer about that at my bo- b- the bottom of yeah. it like because i feel the need as an influencer to let people know don't don't ride without gear the only reason why i did because it was on a music video i was a closed set on a dry lake bed that yeah. was my job i was paid paid to do that who was who was the performer there is J-pop. It's Japanese. It's a. They're called uh, <laughs> That's Exile. Awesome. Ex- That's awesome. Just in a song. Exile. It was. Uh, it's a Japanese pop boy band, but they don't like to be called a boy band, even though they're. Boys they're totally a boy in band. A band. And, what do they want? <laughs> what do they want to be called? A person band or? I like, don't know. Huh. A group. But that's J-pop. <laughs> yeah. It's like K-pop being uh, Korean yep. pop. Same thing. So, yeah. Okay. Well, when is that? Do you know when that's gonna? Uh, September. In the twenties, like is when that launches. Okay. So That'd it was a big set. It was like four hundred thousand dollar budget. It I was think I saw huge. at least one thing that you posted from that, and it looked yeah. like, well, that's interesting. It looks like a lot of fun. I've always wanted to get, be out on a desert like that. Yeah. Know? Oh, it was so hot though. It was re- and dusty. I would wash my hair at the end of the day, and it was disgusting what came out of it. Like <laughs> and it was a two day set, but you know, I felt the need to post that I wasn't in gear. You know, as an influencer, I think that's very important. I feel like it's great to get up to that level, and then once you're up to that level, you have a responsibility, right? Because there are a lot of people that look up to you and you want to send the right message and um now i just try to you know my it's my decision whether i wear gear or not and but at the same time i don't want anyone else to decide off of what i'm doing Mm -hmm. you know so i tell them like i have to tell them why i'm doing it the choice i made for sure and i assume you were on a harley davidson in the i was on that one and then also a husqvarna like so you're not you're not like even though you race for Harley Davidson, uh-huh. you're not beholden to to always have to ride Harleys at, no. in in all situations. Yeah, no, I'm not. Uh, which has kind of been a misconception this year. But I've ridden a ton of things, you know, and and I like to. I want to ride everything. I mean, it's motorcycling, and uh, push the limits on things that I'm not comfortable on. You know, we went and did the road race days a couple years ago mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Danazy, and uh, I'd never ridden really a road race bike, so. It, that was all different to me. And at first, I, I also had a labrum tear in my shoulder that was pretty bad. I didn't realize it until I got home from that trip. But um, I just rode two days on an Indian and then a Triumph on the way out there and then raced on the Kawasaki. And now, is this a Chuck Walla? Yeah, yeah Chuck, Chuck Walla. Okay, I remember him telling me the, the general thing that yeah. went it down. And, and that was definitely out of my comfort zone. You know, I wasn't used to the RPMs, totally different type of riding. Sure. Track was great to be on something that didn't have all the variables of being on the street. But, you know, getting those turns and everything, you know, so I just took from it. I was like, how can I take from this class and apply it to what I do yeah. normally riding a cruiser, which was hitting an apex, you know, ca- yeah. counter steering, just work on all those things. And I left that class and I scrape all the time, every time I turn anywhere on my bikes now because of that, you <laughs> well, know, and I love it. <laughs> have you, are you tempted to do that again ever? Or are you like, okay, I get it, um, but that's definitely not my jam. Or are you like, ah, I would like to get to that point to do that again? Yeah, I would love to do it again. There's okay. no, I've never done anything in motorcycling where I'm like, I don't want to try that anymore. I think that I want to try all of it. Adventure riding is probably the next thing I want to focus on, yeah. though. Um, 
because it's just those bikes actually intimidate me because they're so big. Oh yeah. And uh, I want to do the raw head course with BMW yeah, and sure. just test that out and just having the ability. I think that it, that's the other thing when you start riding motorcycle. Like people think, oh, I took the class, good, I'm done. Like You're and an oh, I'm doing street time, street time. Uh, yeah, seat time. That's good. Well, go take supermoto class and do these things. I mean, some of those classes are only two hundred some bucks. Like you know, I do flat tracking school with Johnny Lewis and learning how to control a motorcycle that's out of control is great because think about how many situations on the street that you that may happen really quickly that where you're out of control and if you just it's instinctual of what you can do and and the only way to do that is do every kind of schooling out there yeah you know? for sure once you get the sense memory from you, you name the thing that you're doing that and mainly yeah. in dirt you you start it's bizarre how quickly it starts to translate as yeah. i had i had raced in 2003 i had been racing 125s and uh, road racing mm-hmm and had started racing a 600 in AMA and was like woefully inadequate at doing it, would be yeah. like last qualified, literally, yeah. right? Went and took a Rich Oliver Mystery School uh, and it really was like a huge change for me to, to start bending towards, because I hadn't spent any time in the dirt. Dirt dirt was for potatoes as far as I was concerned, <laughs> right? It was like, yeah. I, I had been so road race centered and you know, worked at a Ducati shop, all road, all road, all road, right? Mm-hmm. And so to get a couple of uh, uh, people that were behind me, like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you this course and do that, huge deal, mm-hmm. right? And to hear somebody like yourself acknowledging that and then uh, uh, getting that out, making sure that people know that because it's not expensive. It's, yeah, it's really good. I'd love for more people to look at that and not just say, well, I want to ride that fancy crotch rocket. Yeah. I really want to ride that. Good, I want you to, but. Start on some, try and do, buy that and have it, right. you know, cruise around a little bit, but, but by all means, start with a dirt bike course and, and right, get focused on it in some way. Yeah. And I think that's helped for you a little bit over the course of the past few years, getting out on dirt and getting a little. Yeah. No, I definitely, between dirt riding and supermoto, I've seen my skills take another step. And I, and I was, and I'm glad it did because I got worried that my skill set was plateauing because I was just getting stuck like. 90% of the track days I would go to were press launches. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're like, okay, I'm not out here necessarily to set the fastest lap. I want to push the bike to be able to evaluate it. But I also need to make sure it comes home in one piece. Whereas right. if I'm just out on my own R1, I don't care what happens to that bike. If it ends up in the woods, it ends up in the woods. But going out and, ha- and dirt riding and, and getting the feel for that and learning more about the bike moving under underneath me which is on a road bike you know yep. very unnerving sort of thing and, and the same thing with supermoto especially transitioning from dirt to pavement and back again and and having to you know make that adjustment in my head like i definitely saw a huge just skill set improvement and that's after man, how long have i been riding one it's like 15 years of riding motorcycles at yeah. that point and i've been riding motorcycles almost 20 years yeah so isn't that great yeah no it's cool and then you, you get to open up a new a new thing and on the adventure side i've been I would say adventure touring improperly for probably 15 years because I'll take, I had an ST2 Ducati, which was like a big. You're like OG adventure touring. Yeah, OG, Mm. right? I would take it (laughs) off-road. I would go very often, not off-road heavy, but dirt roads because I could. I Mm -hmm. knew that bike would work. It would be okay. It'd beat it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Then bending into once Ducati started, and I was working for Ducati for a while, started making proper adventure touring, but not quite BMW GS level, but you can go a lot further than a lot of people think on uh, even just a basic street bike with the right tires on it. Yeah. It's a huge deal and it's so much fun. And if somebody's said, okay, you you have to pick a motorcycling event, you have to pick a thing that you, it would be long distance 
touring, specifically adventure touring. Yeah. I love riding my dirt bikes. I love road racing. I love going to track days and all that. But the thing that's going to fill my cup the most, the thing that I still find to be the most enjoyable, mainly because it takes the longest time and allows you to really clear your head is to yeah. get, like I was telling you earlier, get out to Eastern Oregon and go. So yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're doing that. You should f- for sure get into it. It's so rad. It's so yeah. much fun. And you can go anywhere. I mean, yeah. like to places that you know, my Dinah can't go, you yeah, know? For yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> Although, you know, you say that I was on, um, I was out in uh, Moab. What's the, is it the White Rim Trail? Yeah. Out in Moab. I saw a guy on a Harley cruiser out in the middle of this trail. Now he was stuck. He made a horrible <laughs> mistake, but he tried and he was trying to make it happen. And I have yeah. full, full faith and credit to that for, for giving it a go. Yeah. All right. Circle back. So in the industry, I, I was getting at a couple things relative to the sexism that you mm-hmm. might have seen, which you didn't. You were like, all right, you now when I bought my Harley, it was fine. There was no problem. Yeah. What about subsequent to that, the past 10, 10 or 15 years of seeing mainly industry-wise, what do you think, let's do it in a positive way. Yeah. What do you think the industry can do to make, to get that 14% up to 30, right? Let's double it. And it's still not enough, but it's enough to, to make a huge dent to get 30% women riders. Uh, I think there's a few things and, um, you know, I, uh, women, it's not just that it's like women, what, how much is how much 90, 80% or something we control buying power. So what what is the first thing any guy does when they sit on a motorcycle? I got to ask my wife or they look at their wife. Do you think I can buy this? You know? So I think making it more appeasing to women, the lifestyle part of it, that's not like, that's not that typical all leathered dude on a bike Mm. and also not the girl on a bikini in a bikini on a bike you know it makes the women who don't ride makes it more inviting or makes it more acceptable for them to like let their husbands buy a bike and then maybe they want to get into it from there you know and so i think it's changing that old school mentality some of those brands are still stuck in that old school mentality and they're trying to but they're miss you know missing it a little bit and then i think um i think uh you know, offering something to get someone in the seat to be a long-term rider is good. Um, you know, so if you, the scout is a great example of that. You can get in on an Indian scout. You like that bike, then you built, you keep going up and then you're a chieftain and, you know, they're going to keep buying your bike for a while. Um, but for women, I think it's, you know, just off, just, we need to offer more things too. But I think also just sending the message. We still even brand, uh, brands that aren't motorcycle related, like Maybelline and Prada last year, all their commercials had women on bikes, but it's like, or just people on motorcycles, but they weren't really riding them. You know what I mean? It was just an accessory in there. It wasn't, think, it wasn't authentic. It was just. Yeah. Too- yeah. And that doesn't inspire me to ride a motorcycle if I was a female. I was like, oh, that's, that looks cool. Like I want to, I want to wear those boots because it looks like I ride a motorcycle, but I don't want to ride a motorcycle, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, I think that that's, one of it it's you know it's harder for me because i'm in, i'm so in in it like in it in a like i'm going to bell helmets next week to help to, to develop a helmet you know kind of go and talk about more women what we want and the shape and design and and stuff I like tell that. them they need to have a ponytail cut out and their helmets <laughs> this is something that's close to my heart <laughs> sorry <laughs> Uh, just cut that's it off and wear extensions like, when you want long hair. It's, it's funny. I have to let my hair down. Like I have to put the helmet on yeah. and then let my hair down and kind of even it out because I have to, I, I will not wear loose helmets right. with, with hair and I don't have that much hair, yeah. but 
that's a legitimate thing. Now, now I'm starting to think about it. it Jensen, is. I think I'm going to I'm going to have some talks with some of the I'm going to talk to Daneezy next time. Right? Hey, hey. Yeah. It's <laughs> hey hard guys. to be pretty and ride a motorcycle. Uh, we should probably take a quick break, Quentin, and uh, do a little advertisement. And we'll come back and continue talking with Letitia Klein. Dude, your French accent. It's, it's on point. On point. On point. <laughs> Uh, Quentin, this episode is being brought to us by the good folks at Dainese and AJV. Motorcycle gear inspired by humans. It is indeed. We've been doing a lot of these, these advertisements. It almost seems like a broken record, but it's good to impart onto the listenership that Dainese has factory stores in San Francisco, Orange County, Chicago, Orlando, New York, and one soon to come in Los Angeles. And these stores are staffed with motorcycle gear experts, people that can get you fitted and in the right AGV and Dainese products. So when you go out on the road, if you're a motorcycle, you are covered head to toe. And it's fit correctly so that it's as safe as it possibly can be. Which is which is incredibly important. Not only to have good gear, but also gear that fits you and to have someone that is trained and knows how to make sure that you are wearing gear that fits you properly because it makes no sense to go out and have all the gear on if it's gear that doesn't fit you correctly and isn't and isn't going to perform the way it's supposed to when you have an accident or a crash. So we thank them very much for supporting the show and we're going to get right back to it. I mean, when you were talking, you were talking about femininity. Yeah. And it made me think about um, when Harley Davidson started down this route, they had Marissa Miller being one of the yeah. spokesmodels. And, and that I, was, was Marissa Miller like a, like a, like a heavy duty, well-known. This was like, yeah, she was sports illustrated yeah. swimsuit yeah, mission okay. cover. Sure. Okay. I don't know how many times over, but that was like the, the height of her career. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know really anything about her career, but for me, it was the height of the exposure that I was picking up on. But I thought it was really interesting that one, they made that choice to do like all these photo shoots and have her be a, a, a promotional person for the brand. But I thought it was also good because they they really let her keep her femininity with mm-hmm. it. Now, maybe it was a little too much of that girl in a bikini on a bike, mm-hmm. you know, she, kind of yeah. element. But at least kind of got that going because it was like the first time where like I really saw like uh, uh, an attractive female on a motorcycle that still had all those things that you would associate with an attractive female. Yeah. I, uh, it seems like it's a hard thing to balance, like for, for brands and, and, and for marketing. There's people. a negativity so. to this. We keep using the words attractive. Like, let's, let's face it. Not everybody is what, what, is, what would normally be called attractive. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need to open up and not have it where it's constantly being barraged with super beautiful people. We well, need that. The authenticity comes from most people are just average and why, that's one problem we but that's, have. That's just marketing. That's, it is. That's mm-hmm. why There's you no and I have a podcast and, and Letitia's a <laughs> social media And we're, we're not doing this on video. That's right. We <laughs> do we have faces for radio. <laughs> oh, stop. You guys are great. Um, we no, the, you know what I think, but you can do it and be creative about it. So take Dove, who did the bo- different body types. They had yeah. many different mm. women. That was so, that spread so virally because the majority of the population doesn't look like Marissa Miller. Actually, very few do. You know, and and so they like if you can identify with it, like you know, so by by being creative with your marketing message and you know showing multiple different people. Or telling a good story, like a little snippet, one sentence from each on a commercial of 
of many different women, uh, then I think that that could be a good thing too. And I, and you're, and then as far as, yeah, marketing, I mean, sex sales, there's, there's no doubt it always will. And the fact that women get into motorcycling gets more men into motorcycling because it's fucking cool. And then also they don't want a woman to show them up. You know what I mean? So I noticed that, you know, nowadays, like women are inspiring women, but we're also inspiring men to ride too, which is something really cool. And so we need to really hone in on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, as far as to try to stay, Marissa Miller, I think she actually rides motorcycles. Yeah, she does. Yeah. And And that was one of the things I liked about it. Yeah. But I think a lot of people missed. Right. And she wasn't, she was sexy, but she wasn't like over the top. And, And I think she looked classy, sexy. And I thought it was, I thought it was great. Actually, I thought the—I mean, those images still show up. Is anytime you Google women motorcycles, it's always the first ones that come up, and uh, I think that that that's good. But I—I I think, and you need that, and then you have other companies that show the real side of of motorcycling too. But at the same time, then you open up the catalog for you name the dirt bike brand, and you, you go to whether it be Tucker Rocky Parts Limited, and you'll oh, usually yeah. see. Unfortunately, just more often than not, there would be what what some people would, in a pejorative way, call eye candy, showing yeah. off certain stuff, and then also the gear itself, pink, 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 and, and right, and it's really frustrating. It's like you have rhinestones, right? So, trying to figure out how the industry can start adapting, and I mean, I know most of the women that I know that are in, especially on the Ducati side, they're so tired of going into you name the shop and getting the gear that is either way to like uh climb 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 gear that's like super teutonic german like made for bmw riders and that's not that doesn't look good in general for them mm-hmm. or pink right yeah. and it's like there's no in between of just i just want normal looking riding gear can you just make something black that fits a female form better than you know the other stuff and it's right. tough and we need to keep kind of singing that and saying hey you got 15 percent of the market if you want that 30 percent, if yeah. you want more in general yeah. make the pie bigger Right. right, not just a, not just a bigger slice, but a bigger pie for everybody. Then start kind of bending towards not marketing that way, and it's it's tough. I think you know, and the thing I get it with manufacturers for gear and stuff to make their minimums. They have to order so much, and women don't buy enough of it. But they're not; they're really just taking a men's version and making it smaller. Yeah. They're not really spending time, and they don't think about the fact that women. We spend a ton, if I, if there's a jacket I love and it looks good on me, I mean, I'll find a way to pay for it. You know what I mean? Like, and you'll have it as a second or third jacket. Right. Whereas maybe the, I would say, and this is a horribly genderized thing, but a man would be like, all right, I'm going to have this jacket. And then you have it through the life of the jacket. Right. You wouldn't necessarily, but oh, that one looks good too. Yeah. I do. I do that because I'm in the industry. Yeah. And it, yeah it's if I didn't like, get a bunch of free jackets, yeah. I would only have one jacket and <laughs> exactly. it would have been 15 years old and look horrible. Well, and you know what? Up until the past few years, I had a, there's a company that's not even in existence anymore called Marcy. And I had a Marcy jacket jacket for 10 15 years something like that yeah. something I'm still have it like right. I am that type of person and that that is the pro that is a problem for manufacturers yeah. is the the worst case scenario is the person that buys the thing and keeps that thing forever right mm-hmm. and they don't want that newest latest greatest and they don't get the turns that they want but yeah that's that's is a great example though of something that I've never really thought of, but like, yeah, I like that jacket. I want that too. I want that as well. I want to have mul- multiple choices and right. I don't want it to all look bad. I want to have that and that. And, and if that. you make something that's great for women and it's just, and they also offer stuff for men and they're, they're 
significant other rides and they'll buy for Christmas or whatever. They'll buy the yeah. jacket from that same company. So I think in the, the sometimes they think, oh, we're not making a, our minimums off women, but women buy for men. We have the buying power. So you might be making it up on the men's side more, mm, yeah. you know? Um, and then as far as that, you know, the Tucker Rocky or Biker's Choice or whatever tattooed. And I was actually on the cover of Biker's Choice a couple of years ago, but I had a vest on. <laughs> Granted, I had a very big push-up bra <laughs> and some leather pants. That was like as far as I would go. But I didn't have all the tattoos or things. But, you know, I think that that's what's sad about that is that it's not just turn, a kind of a turnoff for men or women. It's also just playing into the core demographic, which maybe has one or two bikes left in them. And I'm, I know that's a nice that's way true. to say you're old and you're going to die. That's true. But it's true. And it's it's like you the thing, like the younger don't. We don't think like that. Like the younger demographic that's going to buy 10 or 12 more bikes before we go is not, we don't, I don't need to see that. No one needs to see that. I don't care. We can see that whenever you can sell the do internet. just as everywhere. well to have a picture of a rad bike that's festooned with a bunch of stuff on it than yeah. trying to do the sex sales routine. Do you feel guilty for doing that? Do you feel? No, I don't. Uh, I don't because I either make fun of myself about it when I post it socially or um, I was pretty, I mean, I still, I wasn't over the top. You know what I mean? I, you I were had in on a gear vest, and, and I, some leather um, pants. I can't even remember leather pants. And most, most of the time they have under boob and I didn't have any of that. So I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, because I think I, I, sometimes I try to figure it out. It's like, what do I, how do I balance this out? You know, like, you should I want I'm almost 40 and I think it's kind of cool that I can still do stuff like that Absolutely, you know I should sure. celebrate that I don't sure. want to grow old and be like damn I didn't use it when I had it you know and and I and so I and then too I socially anywhere you see like I write about products gear reviews on bikes like my thoughts tips and tricks and moto hacks and so I think I try to legitimize myself other ways more i also ride everywhere that's another thing so like i'll ride to my races and um i never really thought about it until one day i was talking to tim boucher from mic and he was like you know that's a really good message because a lot of racers don't ride motorcycles on the street because they it's dangerous but it's sending the wrong message because those people that buy street bikes are the ones that pay their bills and and, mm -hmm. and it's true so i try to promote that you can race and you can ride and you can do, you know what I mean? Like, I just try to promote mo motorcycling in any way possible. And uh, so I so I counter any sexy ad and it's literally only been one or two or something with that. Yeah, <laughs> that's good rationalization. I mean, I can't I can't fault you for that one bit and I can't hack on it. That's the thing. It's a tough thing to, to say is like, would that Biker's Choice catalog stick out? Yeah, yeah. it would. Yeah. Right. It would. And I. Is there is a negativity to that that I can imagine we're we're getting away from in general, but it's going to take quite a while for it to completely go away. Yeah. But as long as we see the trend towards, again, the mainly the privileged white male of twenty five to to forty five yeah. now, as long as we see that kind of changing to where they realize these are people, yeah. it's a person that's not just a thing, that's a person, right? Yeah. And trying to trying to bend it towards that, and then uh, making sure as many people that our women are in it. Like we've been doing a, we got a super bike death match that we're doing right now. <laughs> you, you should see the garage downstairs oh. filled with gnarly super bikes. Nice. So we're doing that. And one of the things was like, who are we going to get to ride the bikes? We're going to do multiple people that are riding the bikes on track 
And right away he was like, well, who's the woman? Who's going to, who's going to represent female? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And then that was, it's like, no, we have to. I would love to be able to say, all right, we need people of color. We need women. We yeah. need, right. We need to figure out a way to break this mold of, again, privileged white dude, old, old privileged white dude generally. Right. But even I'm, I mean, I'm almost 40 or I'm, I just turned 40. Yeah. Yeah, you did. Oh my God. I got, so, I got you. Right. Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> so just turned 40. I'm like right in that demo. I'm like right dead center in the demographic. Yeah. So I, I can recognize it from that lens and yeah. see it. It's like, well, we need to do something. So it's like great to be able to get you on the show to be like, Hey, how can we, what can we do? Like, yeah. I can't tell all the way through cause I'm not that. Right. 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 I mean, I think also, too, I mean, uh, you know, the, some of the price on some of the bikes are just for the privilege, you know. I mean, Harley offers a yeah. their bikes are very expensive. I mean, even if you go up in the Indians and whatnot, you can get quite pricey for just a cruiser. Yeah. You know, you're cruising like it shouldn't be that expensive. But, um, you know, I think that I don't know. I mean, there's just there's just a ton of things that could happen. I just don't know if any of them are going to happen anytime soon i think i think when i ran into you downtown we were talking about it i think we were talking about how it's going to be like a generational change yeah because we look at i look at like the the executives i talk to the marketing executives and at the oems and they're always white guy in the 60s yeah that's right and 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 you know, they and when they talk to me, they go, Jensen, how can we get younger people involved in the brand? They don't talk to me so much about women, they but they'll say, talk about. Tell me about this internet thing. What yeah, is that? but that that's that's real though. That's real. Yeah. When what I started, exactly? I had to tell them about the internet, and and now it's like I have to tell them like what a podcast is. But it's always the same idea of like, well, why aren't we getting younger people engaged in motorcycling? And, and you can take it out to why aren't we getting more women engaged in motorcycling? And it's like, well. The, the people that are in charge of your brand touching consumers are old white guys. Yeah. They go to what they know. And you go to what you know. And I, I'm not going to fault anyone for, for uh, anyone for it. Like, if I'm if I'm a marketing executive, I'm going to sit there and probably focus on white guys in their 30s. Because that's who I am. I'm a white guy in his 30s. But it is this idea of, like, well, when your entire staff is aging, as the motorcycle is aging, when they're all baby boomers... And like we sit here and we're like we scratch our heads on why they're not engaging well mm -hmm. with uh, younger generations, why they're not engaging well with minorities, why they're not engaging well with women. And you're just like, huh, I wonder why, guys. Like, look around your boardroom, look at the people making the decision process. Yeah. And understand like who's who's the voice in the room for these demographics you want to reach to. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's yeah. It's like why, what is that? Some comedian was talking about the G8 summit and stuff. They always have it in the most beautiful places ever. So they're like, oh, the rest of the world is, we're fine. We're doing good. Like, have it in Haiti. You know what I mean? And you're going to be like, <laughs> we're screwed, guys. We need to do something now. So, like, yeah, it's the same. I think it's the same, you know? It's like, and I think it's that. And then it's the immediate. I think too many people are thinking about right now instead of long term. So the younger generation, you know, what I skew for, like in the 20s, would they, we buy two $2,500 bikes on craigslist you know to start and then the manufacturers aren't they don't want to promote that they want to support that because they want them to buy new bikes but if they supported it because my the next bike after that shitty $2,500 bike does not <laughs> run true. and right. you fix it, it is down. buy a new yeah. bike so if the first person that they go to is the company that supported that like buy aftermarket parts or promoted it in their marketing message or whatnot and they're like oh that brand is cool like they get it like why I like motorcycling. And then they go to that brand to buy their first bike. So if they thought we're not making money immediately, but on the back end, 
we're making money. We're going to make money off this and sustain an industry. Then I think that that would be great. But I think they just think now. And then you're right too. Like uh, behind on the times with marketing messages, I've spent a lot of time. That's what I did for a long time is, is marketing, traditional marketing, but social media marketing background, more grassroots type of thing. And it's edu- it's spend more time educating people on why they should do certain types of things with their marketing. And uh, people are still kind of behind on that on that too, you know? Well, how did you get involved with Harley then? Because you obviously figured out a way to get through what we would consider the ultimate privileged white guy company. Yeah. You figured out a way to get them to do what they need to do, which is reach out by using somebody as yourself. I hate to use the word use, but you know, whatever the term should be to, to help promote their brand and to break through that barrier. Well, I'm just really like relentless when I want something. So that took me like really giving it my all, which was... You, we were about to say, busting bust your ass. ass. Like, I busted <laughs> my ass. Let's just say this. You busted your ass. <laughs> I did. I wrote, you know, I'd been talking to them for a little bit via email. Like, I'd gotten an email for the women's division from a so there's a division? Company. Yeah. There's a women's division? There's actually two floors of marketing at, at Harley Corporate. And, um, you know, I, I started emailing, and then I knew that they were going to be at this one event in New York, so I flew there. And I made sure I met them and talked to them. And and uh, and then I was writing through. I kept just keeping in contact, pitching them ideas. I do marketing decks, which helps because nobody else kind of does that. And I send them stuff. And we had a good conversation going. And then I was coming from Sturges last year. And I was like, well, I'm coming to Milwaukee. I rode straight to their office and met with everybody. Rode, rode there. Rode there. And what bike were you on? My Sportster, which I'd done 30,000 miles in three and a half months on. Like, it yeah. was ridiculous and so that really they were like that set legitimacy to them and then the fact that i did all the things so the young things and the older things like i went to all the rallies i did their poker runs you know at dealerships i did appearances at dealerships i went i went and did racing and i you know and i did the conventions and so i so i i thought that i'd earned respect from like their hog i'm a hog member like the you know. Harley Owners Group. Yep. Oh boy, so. that's the first time we've ever muttered that on this show. <laughs> yeah, I think well, it is actually. That's awesome. And an AMA member, and like you know, and then I'm on this, the Power Lily, all these things. And Power so, Lily. Power that's the Lily. MIC. MIC, the female version of the MIC. I they know. wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me join. Gwen. I mean, part of me is like, well, that's awesome. They have that, but Power Lily. Oh. But the you name. know what? Fair enough. At least they're recognized. Like, like somebody's woke enough to say, hey, we need to have this. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So what and does then, that entail? This is really cool. Well, that is just, I mean, I just done, like, they're, they do this uh, at AIM Expo, this, they'll have people, like, six different women come up and pitch an idea for women's segment in the motorcycle industry, and then they have a, uh, they, you know, vote on who they want to fund, basically, but it's mostly men that pick that, which I think is a little bit silly to me, and uh, I don't. That sounds like the healthcare meeting at the, in the Republican <laughs> National Convention, bit, right? Right? <laughs> right? But they're trying. People are trying. No, to do you got to start somewhere. I give yeah. them that, yeah. but okay. it is a little like, hmm, yeah, hmm. Okay. yeah, exactly. But, so, but with all this that you're saying, it sounds like you're super at the sharp end of this. Yeah. Are there any other? I mean, I know there are many women that are very active in the industry. Sounds like you, from a, at least from a marketing standpoint probably up there pretty far. Are there any other women of note that you would like to talk about or that are that are doing things and moving and shaking? 
I think there are a lot of women. I don't think they get a lot of recognition. Though. I know so that's why that's why yeah. I want to give them some recognition. I and know. I don't. I unfortunately don't know. And we should. Probably, yeah. This is something we should talk about. Like, who are the women that are are, are leading the way? I know a lot myself that are that have been in it for a really long time. Yeah, and they're frankly. I think embittered and hardened by having been in it when it was really bad through the 90s and 2000s, when it was just like two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, three steps back, right? Right. So now there seems to be a potential and you might be one of the major core people that could affect the change and start. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) No pressure, right? Yeah, no pressure, by the way. I think, uh, you know, there's this uh, Sasha Valentine. I don't know if you know her. She has a, it's a blog site too. It's Cafe Racer Triple X. It's also an influencer mm-hmm. on uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram. She's great because she's, she took a stand a while ago to not really uh, post a, pictures of girls not in gear on, on, yeah. you know, it's an, and she's an influencer. She gets invited to places and press launches and whatnot yep. because of that. And she's also a legitimate writer, like, and lives this lifestyle. She's a computer programmer, I think, by day, and does this every spare second Rad. that she's got. Okay. Got and uh, believes in it. You know, has great advice, promotes the right message and people. Um, there's a six speed sis is what her name is online on Instagram. She's she was a journalist for USA Today, but now she works with the MIC. Uh, Andrea Yee, yeah. I think is yeah. So yeah. yeah, so she uh, she's amazing. I've been at press launches with her, and uh, she's a, an amazing writer. And what was she the, was on- at the scramble launch with yes. us? What was yeah. the online name again? What did you say? Six-, Six Speed Sis. Sis, okay. I think right. is there, yeah, and then uh, but she's great. Uh, She's great too, like, cause she's legit and she's the exact same message. We all talk and like the same thing that I'm saying is exactly what we've said together and they've said. And, you know, I think that, that, that that's good. Um, I think, uh, mouthful of joy, joy Lewis. I'm, I've, I'm pretty sure I follow that person on Instagram. Um, who, who is that? She is, she, she works with BMW. She's in their commercials actually, but she races like, and, just you know flat track and fun stuff but she rides and builds her and her husband they build and they have all the vintage bikes and she's just she and she's such a good person like positive light like really warm and inviting to me is it from a marketing standpoint like you can't she's just entertaining you want to be involved in what she's involved in but she's legit at the same time do you know sarah shilk from yes, BMW. I love, yes. So that's a person that's been in and around for a long time. Yeah. And has had to weather a lot of BS. I and can't I'm, imagine. I, I, it's very full of support. Like, and that she's fairly high up at BMW, I think, in the marketing. I don't know exactly yeah. where, but that she might be the highest ranking female in the industry at an OEM. Yeah, at an OEM. Yeah. I, I wouldn't like uh, want to rubber stamp that. No, but, no. But that's that's yeah. she is definitely of note and a super rad person. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, for sure. Yeah. All right. I any others? Yeah, I have a couple of the cobs like Carly and the racing they're the sisters and the mother they all three race land speed record holders c-o-b-b cob k-o-b-b k-o-b-b okay yeah uh carly and um got it laura oh clock why did i say cob clock sorry Sorry. i'm like now i'm drawing i'm like i haven't had food i've just had coffee (laughs) (laughs) um but then uh anyhow uh and then jesse coombs i think is great too is she here for dirkway she's not She's at home right now. I always wanted to meet this. That was one of the few people I've actually been starstruck by. Yeah. I was on a flight with them going to Austin this year. Uh-huh. And I they sat down near me and I was like, oh, I want to say hi. Because I used to watch 
them on the trucking show or whatever truck oh, yeah. mod show. This is 10, 10 years ago. Yeah. And I was like, her, and then she also was on a show where there were a bunch of females that were working, I I believe. Uh -huh. Anyway, I was like, oh, I can't, I couldn't say anything. I know we know a lot of the same people. And I was like, this is stupid. I should be able to just go up and say, but you know what I mean? I was yeah. starstruck because this is a person that I, like, I don't want to annoy them. I don't want to be that person yeah. that's like, right? Ah, she's so. so nice though. Like she would be like, she's, I don't know where she finds her energy from. She just like treats everyone like she always has so much excitement. And, uh, you know, she sends a message on all fronts, you know, in, in the car world, mechanics and world. And that's a and really cool thing because she transcends motorcycles and goes into cars yeah. and trucks and like hardcore shit. And that's really neat, right? Yeah. So there's not that many people that do that, even males in the motorcycle industry that can that can go to both of those. It's right. pretty neat. And I think, you know, I think she's great because she posts, if you watch her stories, she posts pictures where she's racing and she'll mechanics and then she posts selfies where she's not all done up and like, it's just her life. So yeah. it's like, you can tell that it's legit. And then Brittany Olson's another one who vintage racer. Uh, she won oh, yeah. Yeah. Sons of Speed, but she's a mom, which is really cool. Like, that's a cool aspect of that. And then, you know, they live in... Oh God, I can't remember. Somewhere South Dakota and uh and just a very rural area and work don't they on their vintage bike. race like really weird stuff. Like yeah, I mean I don't know how she does. It. I tried to vintage race a, like a hand shift like forty five Harley and Surges last year, no. and I couldn't get it out on the track. Like it's it was just driving me crazy because it's hard. I mean it's it's yeah. like the everything's different from what you've learned and you're clutching with your foot right yeah and you're it's you're wearing a steel shoe so it slides off like and so i taped it as much as possible and roughed it up so it wouldn't slide off and once it does then trying to get those bikes back started again is crazy and i don't know how and they're heavy and no power no, not power steering. i mean they're just like no suspension so you're like yeah. just all over just hurts everything hurts afterwards <laughs> like and i'm trying to enjoy motorcycling so i was like right. i'm gonna it gives you a reverence for what those people were racing back i mean that was the deal that yeah. was what was going on back in the day it's like how the heck did you do that right how What's, did yeah anybody... What's crazy the people that do it today are really old like, yeah. i'm like <laughs> i mean how does your body able to do that i don't know so i give them a lot of respect but yeah i think i know i'm gonna miss some people but sure those are just ones that come to mind it would, I, I figured if anything it'd be a good way it's like shout outs like we, yeah. we need to to say yeah. there are plenty of people doing this yeah that are that are at this point in the industry that are trying to break through and and make it so that 15 percent goes up to 30 or 40 well when we were on the for when we were on the Denise, when we were at chuckwalla mm -hmm. red spade that was out there yep. i think she's good because she was Love really yeah humble like she would say she'd talk about being nervous or like she was you know i'm not been really good at this and i i want to get better at that like I, there wasn't a front. I didn't feel like she needed. And even when she does post online, she talks about that. She doesn't feel the need, I think, to just say, you know, I do, I've done this. I, I was born this way. And I feel like as women, that's the problem is that we feel that need to put up this front and this wall to prove ourselves. So we can't say my boyfriend got me into it. And I think we need more women out there to step it up and say, my boyfriend got me into it. And that's okay. No, I'm At in least it. I'm in it. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Like there's no wrong or I've only been riding a year or I just yeah. started riding instead of saying, oh, I used to ride when I was little and that not be true. And, you know, I think that that's the problem. If we just all are just honest, like, humble yeah. like that's how you get more people into it because then they feel oh well, I'm, that's my story too i can yeah. do this i don't, you I don't care how you got here i care that you showed up yeah exactly yeah. uh do you happen to know jennifer dunston j-rod racing that that they're a person that's very much uh, on instagram with that <clears throat> in the socal road racing scene and i work with them they're a, a, a sales rep for alta which is an electric dirt bike company and that's what i i'm a service rep for okay so um they are very much have a big following 
And it's really in, impressive to see. And again, a person that's get up in the industry, yeah. that's female. Love. Uh, I definitely want to shout out to, to it's Jennifer. She's she's rad. So. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely have to check it out if, if I don't already. Right on. Yeah. Um, as far as marketing goes, we chatted about this briefly. That that's a passion of yours, obviously. Mm-hmm. So marketing in general. Yeah. And you've hit on a lot of the different things. <laughs> what do you what are you seeing now? What 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 are you gonna be into? What do you think is coming up that is from a marketing standpoint in the industry? What's hot and what's not? Well, I mean, I think it's as far as how to market, you know, this year is the year of micro influencers. So it doesn't matter how micro. big it, Yeah, micro. So it doesn't matter how big your following is, it just matters how much engagement you have mm, with that following. Yeah. So like, you know, you could pay a model that has, you know, a million, two million uh followers to promote your motorcycle, but they just want to see her boobs and butt. Like that's it. They want to see <laughs> they don't care. They're not following her for motorcycling because she's never posted anything about motorcycling yeah. before. You might so, get a little bit of like a Halo brand thing that like, oh, that's person's on a Ducati. That's awesome. That just yeah. reinforces Ducati as a high level or right. reinforces Harley Davidson or something. But it's not really going to drive somebody to say, oh, what bike is that? It's not enough. Yeah, that's right. Such a good exactly. point to bring up. It's such a good point. Because I at least when um, from my perspective, when I have to go sell advertising for, mm-hmm. for my site or for this podcast. The the only number that people seem to care about is, well, what's your audience size? Right. How many people are listening? How many people are clicking? How many people are reading? And all those things. And no one sits down there and is like, well, how engaged is your audience? Right. Because I can have 5 million readers, but if all of them have ad block or all of them don't care about what's going on or aren't, aren't in mm-hmm. the mode to go see your advertisement, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter, does it? Right. You're me- we're effective. measuring the wrong thing in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's why in my market. So I have a marketing deck. Sure. And it's, uh, please explain what, it, what a marketing deck <laughs> is. No, for sure. So it's, I think mine's quite a few pages and it, it basically tells a, bit, a little bit about who I am, what I've done, and then brands I work with. And then it has this social media page on it that I could share with you guys if you wanted to see it. It's a, uh, yeah, totally. And it has everything from Twitter, YouTube, click throughs on my website. And so on it, it says, engagement demographics what age groups are what countries i'm known in more um what percentage of those people are motorcycle related people what percentages are not um so i run analytics on a lot of from back end on my website and everything so i can put that to people and i do that so when someone says like if they you know they really want to reach a certain demographic maybe i have it or maybe i don't you know and um what's been interesting about following those analytics it throughout is that I've noticed that when I started this kind of really pushing motorcycling a few years ago, I had a huge women following. And the more successful that I've gotten, I, my men following is now 77%, whereas my women before it was like almost half and half. And um, I don't know why that is, but it's just, I don't know if that what the deal is with that. But it's just interesting to see these different transitions for my, me personally. That also tells me what kind of message I need to send out there, you know, to either support or or whatnot. Um, but yeah, so for brands, it's the, the engagement. So I, I posted a, that photo where I'm on set, the last one, uh, and I'm uh, not properly geared, but I write, what I'm talking about is my Dyna and how I just put on these new bags and this new seat. I'm going to write a full review on it. And almost all of my comments below it were, oh, I just got, I just upgraded to a Dyna and I was going to do these. Like it's literally comments back and forth about parts on the Talking bike. Talking with you like you're a motorcyclist, right. not that you're a woman or a man. It's just a motorcyclist. Right. Oh, that's exactly. Awesome. Or get direct messages. And so I sometimes screenshot those and I put that in my marketing deck when I send it's it engagement. to people to show people, okay, 
but this is people that said, oh, I, I bought a motorcycle because of you. One day, the best thing ever when I was at Harley at X Games and asked with Harley at X Games in Aspen this past year, a woman came there to X Games just because of me to tell me that she bought her bike because of me. And uh-huh. she didn't, I wasn't there yet. And she told one of the higher ups at Harley that. And I was like, oh, that could have yeah. been, <laughs> cool. I mean, I, if, if I'd paid her, that would have been. I know. I was like, that's crazy. Yeah. But that's how you see, that's what's important is the engagement because before you know you thought with traditional marketing you could buy an ad in a magazine but you're not targeting anyone and just don't know who sees it and then you're like oh i could target people with social media but like if they're not engaging in their audience then you're not targeting that either it's just like buying an ad now you you need to spend it doesn't matter if they have 10,000 followers if those 10,000 followers will actually do what that person asked them to do that's way more important than one person doing it from a person yeah. who has 2 million followers what are we what are we measuring at the end of the day yeah, you know, because that's that's always the thing that I, that I when I talk to marketing sector, it's like, well, what are you measuring at the end of the day? Yeah. What's what's your goal, and then what are you actually measuring? Because mm-hmm. like, if your goal is bikes sold, yeah, but your measurement is click through rate, yeah. or or ad impressions, yeah, right. Those things those things don't have to be related at all, and that's always the thing that's interesting. I just had a brand tell me the other day that we are the smallest publication that they're running their uh, advertisement on, but we have the highest click through rate. Really. And now I don't know if that means we're selling more bikes or not because click through rate doesn't mean bike sales, but that's as far down the chain that, that of the metrics that I'm going to see. But it's it's really interesting to see that, yeah, because you have to sit back and wonder like, um, you know, like the, the total audience size isn't always the the metric that you should be chasing. And right. like I always think like a lot of brands are are chasing the wrong number. Or oh, we're chasing yeah. a number because that's that's what we've been looking at it's to measure other things before. In a weird way. Yeah. yeah, and it just feels like you're like, well, what are we actually measuring at the end of the day? What do you what are you actually caring about? Because if all you're caring about is clicks or right. eyeballs, right. yeah, sure, do that. Yeah. But if you're trying to achieve something else, yeah. Mm. I mean, brand with click. I mean, click throughs is still brand awareness, even if it's not you know ROI immediately. You know, if someone doesn't buy, I mean, I think getting it, you know. I think they don't even know. That, 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 no. That's the thing. They don't <laughs> even have a clue. Sure. Like, yeah, that's the biggest part. <laughs> they're just trying to just do something in a frantic. You know, I feel like it's a bunch of buzzards flying around trying to f- capitalize on this whole mo- motorcycle trend. They, no one knows how to do it just yet. And whoever does is going to win big. And there's a couple of companies out there starting to do that. But um, we got to be the lions that are getting down there and getting the carcass ready for the buzzards. <laughs> <gotta yeah>. Be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I think that so marketing wise, it's that. I mean, it's very social. We're very visual, even before Instagram. You know, like we make our decisions off visual. Instagram's for sure helping that, and that's been the the crux of like the are are you oversexing your mm-hmm. your view of it by using Instagram mm-hmm. and it is it all skin or is there content and skin? Because well, you know what, it's perfectly okay for anybody to yeah. want to say, hey, look at me, look at what I look like. I'm I'm happy yeah. with myself. I'm comfortable with myself. Nothing wrong with that at all. Right. Then the sex sells thing then starts to blend in yeah, there. Yeah, Quentin, you and I have had that conversation about a different, a different influencer. Influencer, and and it's unfortunate because I know this person is a motorcycle person, right? Absolutely, probably more of a motorcyclist than I am. Like, yeah. like, like you're riding to every every event you go to. I take my car. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's sad to watch the the sexualization of the feed because it's like. And they have probably like a million followers or however many it is now. But like, I sit there and I'm just like, yeah, but 90% of them are just guys that want to see your tits. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know. 
how many of them are even caring about the bike? And it comes back to like, what right. are you measuring? It's that idea like, well, this, and that was the response was, well, sex sells. So it's like sex sells sex. Yeah. I've never, I've never looked at a half naked woman on an advertisement and been like, oh, they're selling me tacos. <laughs> how, I'm so hungry right now. Now I want to go eat a taco. I said, they're like, no, she's, she's attractive. Wow. That's great. It's right. a course those tacos issue. weren't in there. I could it, get a better view. It, yeah. it, it, for sure. Those a complex issue. So go back to the, what is it? Biker's choice. The one yeah. that you're on. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you got the, the array of catalogs they are sitting on the shelf. Mm -hmm. You're going to go to that one. I'm going to yeah. pick that one up straight up. I don't know the Harley thing, but I would assume yeah. oh, yeah. that would be, and that is. Cause we're trained uh, our brain to be that way. Yeah, but slowly we start oh, training yeah. in a different way. And I think in a, somewhat, I mean, that's why it's we're talking about it. Yeah. That's why that's why we're bringing it up because it just a little. Even if this podcast gets the three thousand people and a little bit of mind share mm -hmm. goes to so these people think of that next time they see that, uh, and it makes them think about it even just a little bit. I mean, humor sells too. If you notice some of the sure. biggest influencers out there, it's just funny. Like that's the things that I love. We want to remove ourselves from the stress and of everyday life, and having a good laugh is a great way to do it. So even the people that make the motorcycle um instagrams that are, like are, make fun of motorcycling they have way more following than half the people that ride legitimately <laughs> so i think yeah. sometimes making having fun with your marketing message out there instead some brands take it so serious or they do it too sales pitchy i mean we don't want to be sold we are smart now on that yeah. like the minute that we especially a millennial if we smell that you're trying to sell us on something immediate off yeah. like we don't want it you know it's just let it be organic let, it's an experience we buy motorcycles because of the experience no other reason like we want to experience it right maybe some people do it to be cool or whatnot but it really is that's even an experience within itself you know and i think that if you put that in your message somehow make it fun make it an interesting feed will people actually click through i think when we were talking about your website you you trained your um your uh, audience to come back, you put out three stories a day mm -hmm. at certain right. times. They now know, they physically type in your site to come and check it out because they know they're going to expect yeah. something. Like that's kind of what what I, that's why I type in fuck Jerry and the fat Jewish on, you yeah, know what I mean? Because yeah, I know I'm going to see something funny yeah. and, I'm, and, I, and <laughs> yeah. I don't type in anyone else's, not even my mama's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm going to just, you want to have it to where you capture that person and so they physically go to your site. That's actually even important too for from a marketing standpoint, If not just the engagement, but if you say, and you can f get those analytics through your website or through Facebook or what, where did these people come through? Did they click it from a link? Did they directly mm -hmm. type it in? Mm -hmm. And that's another, if they're directly typing it in, that's amazing. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. life is stressful, you <laughs> yeah, know? for sure. Everything gets stressful after a while and heavy. Gotta just lighten it up a little bit every now and then. So I think that's sometimes that's that's a good message to put out there for marketing too. So maybe you can do more. Maybe people can do more of that and less skin. You know, yeah. I don't, if you counter it, you know, in certain ways or both. I think that's kind of the thing I was yeah. trying to say is if somebody wants to show themselves saw. Yeah, I don't think that should be looked at as evil either. Right. If it's for the sole purpose of. I don't know, getting clicks or getting uh, maybe that's where the gray yeah. area is. But if it's just. I look good today. I'm happy with myself. Right. Bam. Then I don't think that should be vilified, male, female, whatever. Right. Right. I think that's that's good. I, 
Would you agree with that? I completely agree. I think it's different in America than it is in Europe. Yeah. I mean, you go to England, the page three of the newspaper is a yeah. topless lady always. And, and people don't even care. Like, yeah. cause that's just normal and it's taboo here. So we are, we already have a bad thing with nudity or, or celebrating, our, you know, our yeah. sexuality. And I think that it's okay to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think some people take it to the extreme. There's always someone in every genre that gives some, that genre a bad name, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I think that, yeah, I think that the, that's that's what I meant by when I'm almost 40. Like, heck, I think that's awesome. Maybe I'm an inspiration to someone. Yeah. I might offend someone, but I also might inspire someone to be okay with their body at this age. You know what I mean? Like, hopefully that's what I do. I just, and uh, <laughs> that's the message that I'm trying to put out no, there. No, 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 it's sure. good. It, it just, it's, I'm, I'm chuckling because I'm, I went to World Ducati Week last year and we're on the eastern coast of Italy and it's it's a beach town and we're walking around and I'm, I think I'm with Nathan Verdugo, who I think, yeah. you know. And we're just seeing like, like people are like my grandma's age, mm -hmm. just walking around bikini, thong bikini, yeah. just men and like just their <laughs> bellies going over their, their little speedos. Body positive. And no one gave a fuck because it's just like, you know what? This is what I look like. Heck I'm 80 yeah. years old. This is going <laughs> to happen to you too if you live this long. And I'm at the beach and it's hot and I don't care and neither do you. Exactly. When That's you reach great. that age, you got to be like, fuck it. It doesn't, I've got only a few years left. I'm going to enjoy it. And clothes suck sometimes. Like, <laughs> right? I, when we did this ride, we rode cross country recently and we, it was a hundred stupid. This was dumb. 120 degrees. We did 630 miles that day through New Mexico, Arizona, California. Needles. To, you were in needles, weren't you? Yeah. At some point in time. Phoenix, oh. everything. Like, oh. yeah. So it was when it got to 110, we were like, oh, this feels good. That's how you knew it was hot. It, we you normally ride that at night. We just yeah. were screwed on a schedule. And that was the day where I was like, I'm not wearing pants for a week after this. I did not. I was like, I don't care who sees me and what I look like. Like I'm so over clothes because you're just all geared up, you know? So yeah, you've reached a point and you're, I'm going to be that person at the nude beach in my eighties. Like just let it yeah. all hang out. <laughs> Enjoy it. But yeah, so we got off on that and that, so that's where the motorcycle industry needs to go. Nude beaches. Nude beaches. Yeah. So that's the, that's <laughs> Lighten up, up, relax a bit. Yeah, for sure. All right. One last question would be, do you have a good story from that era of, of, of the Matt Mladen, Ben Spees, like a good one? Or they, or is it so bad that you can't even talk about it? No, I mean, I could, I'll be honest about a few things from that time period. Uh, I don't know. I mean, first, let me start with Ben is an amazing motorcyclist. Yeah. I've never been around anyone who every single thought that they do was to better him as a motorcyclist. Like whether it was what type of food, if he's playing basketball, if he's going to go ride a bicycle, everything was conditioning, training, being in the mindset to race. And, he, and it obviously showed because he was great. And, yeah. uh, and he's also a really great person, like one of the most genuine people out there. Um, and so, but in that... Um, you know, there was, he has a mom that's very controlling. We all know that. And uh, that was very difficult for me to deal with oh, on the man, track. I, can't I think imagine. everyone has a Mary Speed story. Oh, yeah. I got contacted. There's someone was writing a book on him and they wanted some information on it. <laughs> and I was like, she's probably going to try and sue me over this. Because she tried to sue me when we broke up, which was crazy. Really? I don't know why. She said I was threatening her. Because oh. I was like, are you kidding? Like, I don't even, 
Oh, you know what? I got a, I got a protective you. mama too. I know how it goes. <laughs> oh, I know exactly how that goes. But you don't have. I mean, this is pretty. <laughs> she's like, but she's no, 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 no. You don't. <laughs> no, I see. I see a lot of my mom and Mary Spies, and that's just all I'm gonna say. Okay. Oh wow, yeah. she's she was kicked out of the paddock a few times yeah. for it. You know, she'd just go crazy. And if it, he was having an off day, she'd be yelling at me like, "It's my fault. I'm the reason why." And and just I'm like, this is all. It's all nerve wracking, regardless. You yeah, know, and. Sure. uh but it's her baby Matt, boy, though. Huh? It's her baby boy. I know. Yeah. I know. No yeah. one's good enough for him. I get it. <laughs> I finally just gave up. I just threw in the towel. I was like, I can't. It's just me and Mary all the time just going at it. And I was like, this is not worth it. Um, but but I guess that also is what it takes. I mean, he's very focused. Yeah. It's good to have someone strong in your corner at the same time. Yeah. It's always going to be there for you and look out for your best interest. It's great so. to hear that from your your lens because you had a very mm-hmm. unique lens and a very unique time. And for the listeners that don't realize, that time in the mid-2000s, this is when I was working for Graves. So I got to see this firsthand, mm-hmm. that battle between... I don't even. It's not even a battle. It was a. It was a war yeah. between uh, Ben and Matt Mladen. Yeah. There hadn't been anybody to challenge Matt in a long time, and Ben came in, and it was it was deep, and they were teammates. So it just yeah. there was a lot of really interesting storylines that were there. So that's why I wanted to know if there was something really cool or interesting. And you're even just the, the what you've given thus far is yeah. like that's an interesting insight into what was going on then. Well, they would just try to not they Matt would really try to get into Ben's head a lot psychologically, whether it be sure. with little things. I mean. One that was, this isn't like my proudest moment, but it's just an honest one is like I was in Playboy and it was right during that time. And Matt had taken those photos and put them in, taped them in uh, the toolboxes and everything so that everyone, because Ben hated it, obviously. He was a good boy and that was not the image he wanted. That really upset him. And that was the race day, like crazy stuff like that. You don't do that. To me, I'm like, you don't, this is people like out we all know how dangerous it is. Why do you want to? But he was determined to win. Matt was at all cost, And so I don't, I mean, that's the first one I can think of other than the constant bickering between the mechanics and each other. And then there's poor old, I think Roger was then and the team too, wasn't it? All three, Hayden. Yeah. So he was just in the middle. Poor Aww. guy. Like he just, that, that was back so in, That was back in the pork chop pork day. Chop. Yeah. Oh, poor Roger Lee had to deal with that. I can just imagine him just kind of shaking his head, like having to deal with all the you wouldn't believe the BS I had to deal with yeah. at that time, right? Yeah. Oh gosh. But I also know a lot of those mechanics, the Aussies that were really mm-hmm. good people. But yeah. you know, I can imagine them getting embroiled in that. And you know, Aussies are just as bad as Americans for just being hubris, just kind of, you know, uber. Yeah. Uber macho, and I could uh, I could just fathom what was going on. I wouldn't even say macho. I'd just say abrasive. Yeah, can be. Yeah. Right? I just remember, what, you know, when I go to the paddock and you go to different areas, like where Jordan Suzuki was always yeah. a fun one. You, you know, everyone yeah. was fun. And you walk to the Suzuki one, and it's like, <gasps> everyone's quiet. Everyone's super serious. Got to whisper. Everyone, like, when, when mechanics would talk, they huddled together like in a mob. Like, yeah. you know, all honorary cousins of each other. And, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, and then it's the same. It was like no one, this very, it just didn't feel like a team, obviously, at all. And so that's really all, I, you know, basically what I can remember. That happens that on sometime. top, though. You, once you get a, a, a team structure that's on top, yeah. then the stresses are really gnarly. And yeah. it, it it's a strange dynamic because you know you're 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 standing around. For somebody like me, I'm competitive, but not that much. Right. So I go into, I I, I could only go so fast as a road racer because I didn't have that like I want to kill that person in front of me bad. Right. 
the drive. Right. So I end up as a mechanic, and then I, even as mechanics, yeah, it's a lot of people just like myself, ex road racers, knew how to deal with it, especially in that era. A lot of two stroke people that had come through and had to work on their bikes a lot because they raced two strokes, and they yeah. get in this paddock. And mm-hmm. they are super competitive. And, yeah. and the grave side, it was just as bad. Somebody like me, I didn't last long. I was only there for a few years because eventually you're like, We're, th- this is a really fun activity. It mm-hmm. is a fun. And that's not just supposed to be. It is fun. Mm-hmm. You got people come up to you be like, I can't believe you have this job. I wish I had your job. You know, you're in the paddock and you got people saying that to you. And you're like, yeah, no, yeah. this is amazing. I love yeah. this. But then when you get around that and it's just a constant stress ball, right. it, it does suck. And it's really a, not a very positive thing. So right. it, you have to be able to weather that. And I was not able to weather it. Eventually right. I was like, this is not worth it for me to be in this surrounded by straight up negativity, a lot of negativity right. at the highest level when you should be stoked because you're fighting for a championship. Right. Everybody here should be stoked that they have the opportunity to fight for a championship, not just way back in the back of the pack. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, then, you know, and I think, you know, Matt was just, he's just super competitive. He was yeah. holding on to what he already had. And Ben was going after something more. You know, this he would he didn't want to stop at Superbike. He wanted to go farther. And obviously, so he, so there was. And he did. He was a world Superbike champion, which was the yeah. ultimate straight up. That was like the best example of um Success is the best revenge, yeah. I thought, from a Matt and Mladen standpoint. Because every, you know, Matt was very happy to just stay in America. He'd get paid well. He, he was yeah. smart to right. do that. But after watching Ben go and run roughshod over the freaking, yeah, the, the world superbike paddock in this first year, I believe, it yeah. was amazing. And so yeah. you see that and you're like, <laughs> sorry, Matt. Right. But anyway, I, I, yeah. I, I would assume that you, you and him were not involved at that time or were you with him when he was in world Superbike at all? No, no, no. Okay. We we only dated a year, but, um, he, yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, you could tell he was going to do that regardless. He just pushed it, you know? And sure. And like what I said, every single thing was for that. You and know? what a cool and, thing for you have, having been able to see that from the inside mm-hmm. at such a high level. Yeah. And that's why I was wondering about when you were talking about going road racing, well, not road racing, but getting on a road bike. Yeah. And the idea of getting a knee down after having been at the highest of the high level. Yeah. I mean, AMA Superbike at that time was, I would put it right up against any British Superbike, World Superbike, right? It was high level. Yeah. So seeing that from your standpoint now, did that help or did it, is it an interesting thing to think about back in that time or would did it inspire you to be like, I want to be this or was it scary? No, I think it's just, uh, it didn't, not as, I just like being a part of it and I liked watching it and I yeah. loved it. You know, there's, it's a different, I like being more of a spectator at that because it's just un- it just blows my mind when those bikes zoom past you as fast or when they start on the hot grid or yeah. even the paddock you know back then the paddock was packed like wherever yeah. we went you know it was very busy and um i don't know i just i just loved it felt like glamour and like to me i was in awe always you know and i loved how technical it was i mean you know, Supercross is like that too but it's definitely on a higher level in the paddock at a superbike and world superbike and uh, the machines are just a lot more, you know, advanced and, and need a lot more yeah. attention. And, you know, so I think that that's just fascinating to me. It's a world that I don't super understand, even though I was in the middle of it. You know, it's like, I feel like you've got to be in it for a very long time to get it. And, uh, yeah, so I think it was cool. And it was also, you know, I, I glad that he was successful because he's one of the good guys out there, yeah. you know, it's like really just not genuine. all those racers. Are good, no, they're good, not, good people. you know, at all. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so it was, yeah, it was a great time to be in it. I feel very fortunate that I was. And the same here, right? My my time, especially the year I was with Eric Bostrom was like, 
you're working with one of the coolest yeah. people in racing period mm -hmm. most genuine and nice and awesome mm -hmm. and and to be around that oh, at a team that was did well mm -hmm. they could win races and that was a very good feeling and i'm yeah. very privileged to have done that so i'm still yeah 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 let's go back yeah right <laughs> figure out a <laughs> yeah right for sure yeah i i had been for a while trying to um qualify every i was like all right every couple of years i'll go back and keep my license and i was working for ducati and now they don't have the class structure didn't allow mm -hmm. for the ducati for the past couple of years so i've got to figure out something i think i'm going to get an mv Augusta or something and that way i don't have to ride a uh, japanese bike i think that's my goal is to try and get back like maybe in 2018 maybe 2019 mm -hmm. right that's that it is fun to be able to do it right and there's not many people that that have that privilege to not only be able to get out there build their bike and, and go so yeah. i would like to do it so yes i'm with you I, it's just it's been a while right yeah. all right so thank you so much for sitting down with us we really appreciate um all your words well thanks so much i've had fun chatting yeah. actually and thank you for what you're doing for the industry well thanks that feels good that makes it more valid no i think you're doing i think you're doing a lot of good work <laughs> thank and, you uh, we need it so keep it up and we'll uh, have to think about having uh, you on another show at another point in time, and we'll just keep track of the industry as it's going. And if you um, if you have other people that you feel would be um, good to have on the show, let them know that it's a it's not scary. Uh, okay. We don't bite. Uh, Coda might, but Coda might. Co yeah. Co Co Coda's the only slept one. Slept through the whole show though. <laughs> Almost. I heard one one or two meows. Right. <laughs> Once again, we should remind our listeners that this episode of the Two Enthusiasts podcast is brought to you by AGV and Dainese and the Dainese D stores in San Francisco, Orange County, Chicago, Orlando, New York, and soon to be Los Angeles. Dainese, motorcycle gear inspired by humans. Not bad. I have no idea how we're adding that in, but that's the tools we need. All right. Good talk. All right. See you out there. Thanks. Are you ready cool. to go? Yeah. Yeah. So we're just going to take a moment for a room level. And you're definitely going to do the... Uh... Or we recorded. Yeah. No, nice. Yeah. All way right. ahead of it. Right. Have a history of not hitting record button. Uh, <laughs> only only when we have... Only when we have guests. Mo only people. when it's like an important oh, one. Oh, yeah. This is, yeah. That's a good time. Buckle under the pressure. All right. Five seconds. Yeah.